It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card, you call the number for help, and can't get a hold of anyone. If you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right, a real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We want to give you a heads up that this episode delves into some difficult subjects, including depression, suicidal thoughts, and self-harm. If these are sensitive subjects for you, please keep that in mind before you listen. And if you or someone you know needs help, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Hello. Hello. Hi. Okay, let's start, okay? Yes. So this is for Elle. First of all, tell me why you're doing this for Elle. Well, well, what I've been doing with Elle, which, you know, they've been so kind as they've really embraced House Laboratory, the beauty company that I've started. And uh, I'm very close friends with the editor, Stephen Gann. I've known him for over a decade. And I really wanted to do something special for this issue. And quite frankly, there's no other person on the planet other than you that I would rather do this with. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So first of all, I just want to say, I first interviewed you almost 10 years ago in 2010 on The Oprah Show. And I could see then and feel energetically you blossoming into yourself. You were at this moment where you were wide open to your own self-discovery and self-expression. I could feel that. Thank you. And I want to know how have you become more of yourself in the past 10 years? I, I think after the past 10 years, as my career has grown and changed and I've done different things, I've really become very mindful of my position in the world and my responsibility to humanity and for those who follow me. And I consider myself to be a kindness punk. Mm. I look back at everything I've done and I look at what I'm doing now and punks, you know, have a sort of reputation for being rebellious, right? Right. And outsiders in a lot of ways. So for me, I really view my career and even what I'm doing now is it's a rebellion against all the things in the world that I see to be unkind. And what I do through my music, through my acting, through my philanthropy, and through this beauty line house laboratories, it's really a rebellion against the status quo of what is unkind. 
and trying to break the mold and say, kindness frees all things. Kindness heals the world. Kindness heals people. It's what brings us together. It's what keeps us healthy. And when you look back on these 10 years of what you've done and now what you're doing, at what moment do you feel that you most were able to express kindness heals all things? You know, I think it started with really my relationship with my fans Mm -hmm. and looking out into the audience and seeing so many people that were like me, people that felt different, that didn't feel seen or understood. And then also seeing a lot of kids that felt afraid to be open about who they were. And it became sort of an existential experience for me where I thought about what it means to be an individual. And I wanted to fight for those individuals. I couldn't in my mind reckon with this idea of, okay, I'm going to make music and sell tickets and they're going to buy tickets to see my shows. I'm going to make money. They're going to buy merchandise and I'll make money. And then I'm just going to go home and go to sleep, you know. But right. in in my head, that equation, you know, one plus one didn't equal two for me. It's kind of like all I could do was think about how could I give back. And what I saw was that I would meet people and they would tell me stories. And a lot of the stories looked like I came out to my parents because of you. Or I got kicked out of my house because I'm gay. And I was homeless, but your music and your message gave me the strength to find a job and to survive. And once I heard these stories, I made Born This Way Foundation with my mother. And Yeah, I remember that back in 2011 in Boston. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. And that was, that was sort of the beginning. You know, I have a responsibility to the world. I, I actually said this the other day on social media. I said, I didn't do this for fame. I did it for impact, and that's the truth. And I I recognized very early on that my impact was to help liberate people through kindness. I mean, I think it's the most powerful thing in the world and in the space of mental illness. Have you known that since you were at Tisch School of the Arts and then dropped out after a year? And I knew it first through my mother. Pretending to be your own manager and hauling your piano from gig to gig. You knew it yeah, from I, I well, that was a bit cunning. So let's, I don't know that that was completely kind. That was a bit cunning. But, you know, I learned from my mom, Oprah. My mom, when I would come home from school, if I was bullied and I would say, Mom, I don't know what to do, she would always say, kill him with kindness. And maybe kill him is an aggressive way of saying it, but, yes. you know, she meant it in the most kind of ways. What she meant was, is don't fight fire with fire. Fight mm-hmm. fire with water. Is that where you got your moral threads from? Your mom yes. or your mom yes. and your dad? Yeah. Me, Who my gave family. you your morals? Your sense of, your family did. My family did. It was a sense of kindness. And my, my mother's an extremely kind person. And, and you've met her before. Yes, of course. Been at the house. She doesn't have a mean bone in her body. She doesn't operate that way. It's kind of like she, when, when she was made by the universe... They left the mean part out. (laughs) So 
would you say you are actively practicing kindness every day? That's one of the virtues that you are actively in practice with. I actively practice kindness every day, and I make sure that kindness is a part of my life all the time. I actually also was inspired to be that way through reading about Andy Warhol. Uh-huh. He always said please, and he always said thank you in his studio, in his factory. And I always thought that was so interesting. You know, someone with so much power, with so many people looking uh-huh. up to them, the, the power of saying please and saying thank you and, and gratitude. So for me, that's a daily practice. And there's no one on my team that I work with. There's no one in the House of Gaga. That's what I call my team. There's no one here that is unkind. Everyone here is kind to each other. I'm kind to everyone around me. And also, we also practice self-kindness, self-compassion. I think that that's also important. Self-love, that's a form of kindness. And so when you say kind, what does that actually mean in terms of your daily actions? It means, other than saying please and thank you, it means you are what? I I would say it's a very mindful act of making sure that you are not me, 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 (laughs) narcissistic Mm -hmm. all the time, right? Things are not all about you. When you are in the world, things are about us. This is us. But you know, I know and you know, listen, I live in a beautiful world. I often say when I wake up here in Santa Barbara, I'm like inside a painting. And I live in a world where people are constantly available to do whatever I need. And I marvel at that, you know, having come from where I've come from. So when you live in a world where everyone literally is at your beck and call, so how do you manage to keep yourself, your ego in check, your kindness in full bloom when you have everything in your gaga world at your beck and call? Well, I can tell you what it is for me, and I could make Mm -hmm. a in the best of ways possible, a poetic way for other people to practice it. Yes. I've been around the world. I've been around the world many times. And I've not just been around the world to perform, but I've been around the world to do charity. I have seen the depths of poverty, of famine, Mm -hmm. the poorest parts of the world. I've seen people that have absolutely nothing women that have children that they can't feed because they don't have food, they're so stressed out, they can't even breastfeed their children, their children are starving. I've been to orphanages. I've had children wrap their arms around me, looking me in the eye, like begging me to take them home. I've done demolition work before shows after Hurricane Katrina to help with a woman's home who lost completely everything. And I did the demo work myself. So I've seen things that are truly the darkest parts of the earth. And Mm -hmm. yet what's kind of incredible is even in the favelas in Rio, right? Right. Some of the kindest people that I've ever met in my life. So seeing the world taught you what about yourself? What it taught me was is I'm living in a mansion in Laurel Canyon, And I have, yes, everything at my disposal for people to help me do my job, right? And fame might be difficult, and there might be things that are challenging for me, 
but there are so many people in the world who are suffering and what's important is that I remember how lucky I am, have that gratitude, right? And then Mm -hmm. practice it every single day and spread a message of love and kindness around the world so that people are aware of humanity on a global level. I want to say the thing that you have done the most, I think, and the best in a way that now lots of people are following in your footsteps. We see it all through social media. When you first started the Born This Way Foundation, you were making a statement to people to say that however you are is how you're supposed to be. Now, the whole world has sort of come along to understand that. I want to know what advice you have for people who are still afraid to be themselves, who are living a false life. What do you want to say about a false life? You know, I think that what I would say that truthfully is that it's not false. If you are not yet out in the open about who you are, I would have compassion for yourself that you're not ready yet. And take steps every day. Bravery, you know, it's very easy to say to someone, be brave, right? Yes. But Mm -hmm. it's not so easy to practice. I mean, if you feel shame for who you are and you don't feel supported by people around you, you're afraid. Shame is powerful. And I can say, be brave. I can say, you know, love yourself, you know, but that's like, it's almost instructive and like pandering. But give yourself time. Allow yourself to take little bites every day. That's what I would say. Take little bites of bravery. I believe Born This Way Foundation, we, we, we strive for a kinder and braver world and to empower people in that way. So take little bites of empowerment. Take little bites of bravery, little bites of courage. Take little bites of kindness, whether it's to yourself or someone else. I actually find, interestingly enough, like if I'm having a, a tough day mentally, I find that it helps me to help someone else. So instead of worrying about all the things that are going on in my mind, I reach out to someone else and see how they're doing. And it takes me out of me and it puts me in a mode of kindness. And then I look at myself and I say, oh, you just helped someone. You did a good thing today. And then I I feel a bit more brave. That's what I would say. I wouldn't say it's a false life. I would say that that's a reality. And that that reality can change. It might not change overnight, but if you give yourself time and you're patient with yourself, it can change. And that's actually also why I made House Laboratories, truthfully. And I'm, I'm not, you know, just plugging that because we are yeah, let's doing talk an about interview that now. for Elle. Yeah. But yes, I'm a beauty entrepreneur, but that's not how I view myself. I, I view myself Why did you as feel, a, the, feel like this was the time to start a line like this? What made you feel ready to become a beauty entrepreneur? Well, not only did I feel, A, that I had the time because I wanted to put everything into it, which I do with everything that I do. I don't just, like, put a company together, hire a staff, and have them do it. I said this the other night at our launch event. I said my fingerprints are all over this. It's a crime scene. (laughs) But I I wanted to do it because, A, I had the time to do it, and, B, I, I felt that I had the platform and had built the foundation around what I stand for and what we stand for so that when this company came out, it would be a rebellion in a kind way against the status quo of beauty as it is today, which is in many ways on social media a competition. It's uh, 
beauty pageant in a lot of ways, I feel, and a beauty pageant. And what I mean by that is not in a demeaning way, but in a way that I think people feel pressured, right, to Mm -hmm. look a certain way, to be perfect, to show off themselves, to be famous for their beauty. And I wanted to create a line that was, you know, where we begun with color, right? We began everything that's come out so far and that we're putting out is color. That's what changed my life. And I wanted to put out products and things that people could use or not use, right? And put out a message that I hoped would resonate the most. You know, that kid at home could sit quietly, maybe in his room, and put some makeup on and be by himself and look in the mirror and say, this is how I see myself. I know maybe my mom doesn't see me this way. My dad doesn't see me this way. My friends may not see me this way. And I might not be ready to tell them, but this is how I see me. And I, I wanted to open that door. You know, this, this company exists in an influential space in culture where we say that our house, your rules, and everyone is welcome, all gender identities. So that's the mission of the line, to be inclusive of all gender identities. All gender identities, all racial identities, everyone. I want every, and every age, you know, it, this is for everyone. This is a company that is built on the basis of kindness, of um, being inclusive, of being loving and inspiring love. Of course, I love to inspire creativity in people, but... Not everyone necessarily wants to be creative with makeup. They just maybe might like it, and they might not. But I just wanted it truly to exist. How does the line reflect your own style aesthetic? The line reflects my own style aesthetic in that it's products that you can either be very clean or very messy with, and they're very versatile. So that's very me. Sometimes I'm very clean and very precise, you know, have my winged eyeliner and my perfectly lined red lip if I like. And other times I like to rub some eyeshadow on my face real greasy and look like a punk and run out the door and don't do my hair. You know, it's a a line that... You like to play. Sometimes you just like to play. And I like to have freedom. I don't want to be told how I should look. And that's what I want people to feel from House Laboratories. I'm not telling you how to look. I just want you to love yourself. And if I can provide things that in some way can help you love yourself, that's wonderful. And whether you wear the makeup or not, I just want the message of that line in the beauty world to exist. Every time I share it with friends, everybody wants to, oh, why why did she call it house? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, first it, it was House of Gaga, right? Yes. And it's actually a play on two things. And we talked about this uh, the other day, but... So Bauhaus is a functional art uh, stemming from Germany. So, uh, you know, like a couch or a chair or a clock, that's Bauhaus art. It's, it's an invention. It's art that's, that's, you know, it's functional for humankind. And also in an underground ballroom dance culture in New York, they would call the different houses that would compete against each other. They were called houses. So people would have dance-offs and they would be like called house of something. So we began as house of Gaga 
and now we became house laboratories. And I also liked it because it house implies home, you know? Yes. So I, I want people to feel at home. Make yourself comfortable. We all love you. Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. Are you ready to unlock your inner greatness? If so, make sure to listen to my podcast, The School of Greatness, hosted by me, Lewis Howes. Join me as I sit down with world-class performers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders to uncover their secrets to success with new episodes every single week. Whether you're striving for personal growth, business mastery, or simply seeking inspiration, The School of Greatness has something for you. And you can find it on SiriusXM, Pandora, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe and follow to the show so you never miss an episode and start your journey to greatness today. Have you been able to see any of the reaction to the line and how has that made you feel? I have seen the reaction to the line and it's made me really happy because yes, people love the products. There's a lot of innovation and they're good quality products for a lower price point, which was really, really important to me. I wanted people to have the best and not spend mm-hmm. what they would normally have to spend on a product like that. But also, more importantly, what I've seen is people love the message and they feel so liberated. And I'm seeing so many different types of people, all different types of gender identities coming forward with the makeup on, whether they're copying my looks or doing things completely on their own and being inventive. It's It's been wonderful to watch. And and like I said, the truth is that, yes, of course, I want people to love the products. They're wonderful products. But what I really want is for them to take that message and just inject it into their heart and spread it around the world. Aren't you constantly amazed at the power beauty has to uplift people? I just remember being in a hospital where women were getting their fistulas yeah. mended in Ethiopia and handing out lipsticks. And they were yeah. literally... Ugh, 
trying to crawl out of bed to get the lipsticks, you know, and women in Afghanistan under their burqas are wearing lipstick, risking the, the Taliban doing whatever to them. Yeah, it's amazing when they when they take their burqas off what they're wearing, right? We don't know, but yes. there's something under there. Yeah. So it's amazing this the power that beauty has to uplift it's people. It's very powerful. When I, I felt so just not beautiful when I was young and when I left college and I you know, my parents were like not very pleased with me at the time. I said I wanted <laughs> to be a musician. I worked three jobs, paid my own rent, and I went to the drugstore to buy makeup. And I experimented with color. And I looked at myself in the mirror, and I I literally made myself. I invented Lady Gaga. And it made me feel strong. It made me feel powerful. And I've suffered from depression since I was a little girl. But, oh, my goodness, like the the superhero that flew out of me. It was like, it's like Clark Kent and Superman, except maybe Clark Kent didn't have the mental issues that Superman doesn't have. <laughs> but for me, it gave me wings to fly. And that that's also why I refused to change. So as my career pr- progressed, this is before I was even famous, when people would say like, oh, the makeup, there's too much makeup, there's too much this, there's that, there's too much over the top, blah, 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 you know, for me, I was like, this is my life force. This is what helps me fly. And you're absolutely mm. right. I remember uh, a few times after shows where I've met some children that have cancer that had no hair. I've given them my wigs. And you it's can't imagine, like, I'm, or I'm sure you yeah. can because you've seen it, yeah. the the look yeah. on their face, they, they just... Transformative. They light up with happiness because they feel that something has been taken from them. And it's a way for them to take it back. Beauty can be very powerful, and it doesn't have to be because you're gorgeous and you're a model. Makeup and beauty can be powerful because it just makes you feel just a little bit braver. And it's, it's, it's like sort of like saying if you don't feel beautiful on the inside, maybe if I can feel beautiful on the outside and then look at myself, then I will find that inner beauty. That's how I found mine. That's beautiful. I must say you have perfected the art of the shocking and dramatic entrance. (laughs) I mean, my God, this year's Met Ball, you and Brandon Maxwell, so (laughs) fabulous. But I'm wondering, do you feel pressure to constantly outdo yourself? Do you feel that that early success in some way, or is it a shackle on you in any way? Not anymore. I used to, Not though, Oprah. A lot. I mean, I got a level with you, like one hundred percent. I used to try to wrap my brain as heavy as I could about what I could do. To I would always call, instead of being shocking. I mean, I used to say shock art or yeah. performance art, but I would use the word bemuse which is like basically putting the audience in a state of confusion where they can't look away. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because they're so. I think you did that with the meat. Looking at. Yes. Yes. But uh, yeah, I used to just go like, well, what am I going to do next? What am I going to do next to get people's attention? Because after the meat, after the meat, after the meat, did you feel that way? I don't what Where do I go from here? Uh, Well, the meat dress, quite frankly, I mean, I didn't think it it was going to be as shocking to everyone as it was. I mean, that's but that's just me. You know, I, I have a sort of eccentric brain. So for me, I was like, of course, this makes sense. You know, 
I'm showing up to make a, I'm, I'm showing up to make a statement about don't ask, don't tell. I, I went to the event with uh, soldiers who were discharged from the army because they were out or they were found out. And to me, you know, if you're willing to give up your life for your country, does it matter what your sexual orientation is or what your gender identity is? You know, for me, it was like flesh is flesh. So that was the intention of the meat dress. So for me, that wasn't shocking. It was shocking to the world. And then I went, oh, I, I guess that was shocking. But then, yes, I, I felt the pressure to keep up with that at some point because it was sort of like I started to look at myself through the, the mirror of the audience, you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. Almost like a split off. And then that went away. And what happened was, I think, I, and I have to say, it, it's quite recently after doing A Star is Born and working with Bradley Cooper and my experience even with, you know, winning an Oscar, it's like I, I sort of just went to myself, you have a much greater mission on this earth than to freak the hell out of people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Your mission is to bring people joy. Your mission is to bring people kindness. Your mission is to give people a form of love through your art that lifts them up. You know, that moment at the Met Gala with uh, Brandon Maxwell, that was meant to bring people joy. And, you know, it wasn't about, look at me. Am mm-hmm. I the best dressed? Right? No, it was not about that at all. I mean, it was all about you know, firstly, what the theme of the the night was, which was camp. And, you know, camp is essentially in Susan Sontag's notes on fashion. She says that, you know, camp becomes camp over time, right? So things that were once not camp or considered to be normal as time passes, if you wear them, then they're camp. So if I was to dress like someone from the 16th century all the time, that would be camp. So, you know, for me and Brandon, first we started from the intellectual space and then we go, okay, now how do we make this joyful? How do we do something that when I walk that red carpet, everyone is just filled with joy and they're just elated by the happiness. And and to me, that's kind. That's using art in a kind way. And I think you did that in a Thank you. big way. Thank you. So well received. You know, you put so you were mentioning Starsborn. You put so much energy into Starsborn, and then became one of the biggest movies of the year. What was it like when it was all over? Did you feel a letdown? How did you say goodbye to both the character of Allie and the whole experience? Well, actually, the character of Allie stayed with me for a long time. I had to relive a lot of my career doing that role. Mm-hmm. I also come from. You know, many experiences with alcoholism in uh, my Did you work with life. Susan Batson? I did, did work, work with, with Susan, Susan Batson. She's incredible, wonderful, amazing, amazing acting teacher and coach. I know. I've worked also, with her, too. I've worked with her, too. She's just mm-hmm. a, an incredible woman. I worked with her. She was with me every day on set. I couldn't have done it without her. And also Elizabeth Kemp, who is sadly no longer with us. I did a workshop with her as well. So it took me a long time. I I become the character. I don't know how you feel when you've uh, acted, but for me, I I don't view it as uh, filming a movie. I film it as living the character, and it's like a moment in my life. So it's like a... So I, I, I relived it all again. And it took a long time for it to go away, and 
when I won the Oscar for Shallow for Best Song for a film, you know, I I looked at it and a reporter asked me, when you look at that Oscar, what do you see? And I said, I see a lot of pain. And I wasn't lying in that moment. I was raped when I was 19 years old repeatedly. I have been traumatized in a variety of ways by my career over the years for many different things. But I survived, and I've kept going. And when I looked at that Oscar, I saw pain. And and I, I think, I don't know that anyone understood it when I said it in the room, but I understood it. And now, as time has passed... The pain that it had taken you to get there, the pain that you had taken to get there, because, you know, when you're raped particularly repeatedly at the age that it happened to you, too. Yes. You would have PTSD for years about that. I have PTSD. I have PTSD. I have uh, chronic pain, neuropathic pain, trauma response, weekly part of my life. I'm on medication. I have several doctors. This is how I survive. But you know what, Oprah? I kept going. And I want that kid out there or even that adult out there that's been through so much, I want them to know that they can keep going and they can survive and they can win their Oscar. And even if they look at it and they see all that pain, at some point, I now have it in my kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) I now have it and I look at it and I see it standing tall and I say, and you know what? So are you. You are still standing. And yeah. you look I at want it to give that to as that. many people as I can because I've been to the grave and back. And I really believe in the ability to heal. But what I will say is, is I'm surrounded by kindness. I'm surrounded by kind people. And they've reminded me to be kind to myself. And that was how I was able to then look at those that Oscar and look at those Grammys and I have nine Grammys in the kitchen. <laughs> I don't know why they're in the kitchen. I think it's because I'm Italian. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, I, I look at them and I go, you know what? Yeah, you went through all of that and you might feel real banged up some days. But you know what? You're still standing. You're still standing. Still, you're still standing. And you're still going and you're not going to give up. And now... My purpose is not to figure out how to keep shocking people. That's for damn sure. My purpose is to spread that message of survival through kindness, kindness to yourself, kindness to others, taking those little bites of bravery every day, little bites of empowerment every day. That's how you survive. And also, I would beckon to anyone to try when they feel ready to ask for help. And I would beckon to others that if they see someone suffering, to approach them and be that kind person in their life and say, hey, I see you. I see that you're suffering and I'm here. I, which is, t- the, which is the greatest thing, uh, greatest gift I think we can give to each other. I mean, that's why I think Avatar 
and uh, James Cameron is 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 one of the wizards of our generation because yes. that message of I see you, there is nothing more powerful than that. I, I have to agree with you. No, you, there's nothing more powerful than that. There really is. I mean, the, w- w- no. with suicide and uh, self-harm, and this is a bit of like a uh, a quick mental health rundown of a term, yeah. suicidal ideation or self-harm urges. I know like it that. very well. I have girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have many girls. My mom and I always say, tell me, don't show me, because I struggled with that. And I've actually not opened up very much about this, but I will to you because you have a very giant following. And I think it's an important thing for people to know and hear. But I've been a a cutter for a long time. And the only way that I was able to stop cutting and self-harming myself was to realize that what I was doing was, is I was trying to show people that I was in pain instead of telling them that I was in pain and asking for help. And when the switch went off for me in my head that the cutting did not make me feel better. It, you feel better for two seconds, and then you feel worse about yourself. When I realized that telling someone, hey, I, I'm having an urge to hurt myself, it's masochism, it's, you know, self-masochism. I'm having an urge to hurt myself. That diffused the urge. And then I didn't feel that I needed to show because I had someone next to me that's saying, you don't have to show me. Just tell me, what are you feeling right now? And then I could just tell my story. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I say that with a lot of humility and strength. I am not ashamed that that is who I am. I'm very grateful that I don't do it anymore. And I wish to not glamorize it in any way. So anyone that's listening or reading this, I would want them to know that it doesn't make you a rock star to hurt yourself. So what I would say is, is if you have those urges, tell us, don't show us. Tell someone. Tell someone and, and, and ask them to listen and tell your story and, and, hold, and hold their hand and, and cry. And it's okay. You'll get through it. And, and the feeling, it will pass. That's what my best friend always tells me. When I tell her I feel like I want to hurt myself, she says, look at me. She says, you feel that way right now this will pass. Mm. Did you start at a young age? Because all, all the girls that I deal with started like 14, 15, 16. I was 14 when I started cutting. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it mm-hmm. went away for a while and then it came back. Some ways that I would suggest to people that struggle with mental issues or trauma response or self-harm issues or suicidal ideation or thoughts is um, actually ice. If you put your hands in a bowl of ice, really, really cold ice water, or dunk your head in a uh, bucket of uh, ice cold water. There are ways to shock your system. It shocks the nervous system, and it it brings you back to reality. Because what's happening is, is your 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 limbic system is fired to the point that you're panicking so hard that you want to hurt yourself because you want to show someone that you're you're panicking. I'm hurting, I'm panicking, I need help. And if you instead shock your nervous system, it brings you back down and it takes that panic 
just that that edge, it takes it lower and it, it slows the limbic system down. Have you also used DBT, DBT yes, therapy? Yes, I actually uh, have a, a teacher. I take uh, mm-hmm. dialectical behavioral therapy. I do DBT skills. I think that uh, DBT is a wonderful, wonderful way to deal with mental health issues. It's, yeah, it's a I way of learning how I've to live. so many girls at my school. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. It's a yeah. real, real strong way of learning how to live. And it's a, it's a guide to understanding your emotions. You know, I always think about, like, if I'm thinking something, for example, that's extremely not self-loving, right? I'll make a list. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll list all the things that I'm thinking. And first I'll write the thing I'm feeling. Then I'll list all the things that I'm thinking. And then I say, okay, check the facts. And so I read all those things and I say, are these things true? And usually those things are not true. So whatever I'm feeling, I don't have the evidence to back it up. And it then makes, it's actually a a DBT uh, practice. It then makes the mind go, oh, okay, Uh, I'm feeling this way. But if I check the facts, the, the, the truth, this is not the truth. Like, yeah, this is the story I'm telling myself. If I was thinking, uh, I don't deserve love, right? And then you write down all the things, and then you check the facts, and you go, oh, well, wait. Well, none of these facts support the fact that I don't deserve love. None of them. So then you go, okay, well, I validate this feeling that I'm having, but there's no facts to support it. So I need to... Now I need to go function and live life. And that's what DBT does. It's like, you know, go take a bath, go work out, go smell an oil that is different from what you like. Go eat, eat something that you wouldn't normally eat. Go take a walk, go exercise. There's lots of different things that DBT teaches you. And then there's also mental health first aid, which is something Born This Way Foundation is putting in schools around the country. And that's my, that's my big dream, Oprah. I want mental health first aid in every school in the world. Needs to be. Needs to be. That's a much bigger conversation. I want to ask you, though, I have to ask one question about Bradley. I was sitting in Bradley's kitchen the other day. He was taking care of his daughter, and we were ordered some takeout food, and it was just wonderful to see him lean into the dad thing. And we were talking about the the past year. He was saying, Isn't he a beautiful father? He's a beautiful father and person. He's all the way in. We were talking about and all the rumors about you guys last year. He said if if they had been true, he never would have been able to look you in the eye sitting Absolutely. at that piano. Absolutely. He said his Catholic guilt would have never let him be able to look you in the eye at that piano. How did you feel about all of that? How did I feel I about how all you of felt that? about all of all of that at the time? You handled it so well. You know, I thought, I, quite frankly, I think the press is very silly. To to be frank, yeah. you know, I mean, we made a love story, and right. if you think about Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, you know, or you know, even the the Little Mermaid and the Prince, right? It's like, are we supposed to make the audience believe that we don't like each other? <laughs> I, right. I, for me, as a as a performer and as an actress, of course we wanted people to believe that we were in love. That's the point. And we wanted people to feel that love at the Oscars. We wanted it to go right through the lens of that camera and to every television that it was being watched on. And we worked hard on it. 
We talked. We we talked about every movement. We worked for days. He first he was sitting here, then he was sitting there. First I was standing one place, then I was standing another place. Then it was it was one mic, then it was two. It was like we 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 mapped the whole thing out. It was orchestrated as a performance, and you know people ran with it as you to know, evoke exactly what it did. You were orchestrating it as a performance to evoke exactly what it did. It did. Actually, we, in truth, when we talked about it, we went, well, I guess we did a good job because <laughs> people think this is true. It's just that that's that's how people sell magazines, I guess. You know, it's it's yeah. unfortunate and it's definitely not. You're, you're a celebrity, Oprah. I mean, not to me. You're <clears throat> to me. You're a powerhouse angel that we're very, all very blessed to have. But you know how it is. You know, people just I do they write stories, is. they sell magazines. Are you ready to unlock your inner greatness? If so, make sure to listen to my podcast, The School of Greatness, hosted by me, Lewis Howes. Join me as I sit down with world-class performers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders to uncover their secrets to success with new episodes every single week. Whether you're striving for personal growth, business mastery, or simply seeking inspiration, The School of Greatness has something for you. And you can find it on SiriusXM, Pandora, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe and follow to the show so you never miss an episode and start your journey to greatness today. So let me ask you, you, do you like being single now or do you prefer to be in a relationship? Do I like being single or do I prefer to be in a relationship? I like to be in the right relationship. (laughs) Okay. And what do you look for in a partner? What are you looking for in a spiritual partnership? For me, I am looking for someone who loves all of me. Hmm all the parts and I'm a very kind person and I want someone who sees no schism or separation between Gaga and Stephanie because they are the same person and I'm proud of of, of that you know it took me many years to be able to handle Gaga and go, she's me too, because she was really built out of trauma. I built Lady Gaga after I was raped. So, you know, at at some point I kind of had to look myself in the mirror dressed as her and go, okay, now you're Gaga and you're Stephanie. You're both. You're a survivor. And this is who you are. And it's okay. And I'm not looking at a victim anymore. I'm looking at a survivor. And I want someone in my life that embraces all of those things and that loves the survivor in me. Wow. Then that will come. That will happen when it is supposed to. When it's supposed to. When is it, what's your favorite part of the week? Of your week? My favorite week? part of the week? Of your week, yeah. Honestly, my favorite part of the week is when I get alone time with my best friend, Bo. She's also my managing director, but I've known her since I was four years old. And when we get to just hang out and spend time together, that's my favorite time of the week. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, too. Who's your go-to person, the people in your life you can trust, your friends you hang out with? That would be Bo? Um, It would be Bo. I would also say my sister. You know, Mm -hmm. my sister keeps me really grounded, and she's a really remarkable woman. 
you know, she's so immensely talented as an artist, as a designer, as a costume maker, as a as a drawer, as an animator. She does so many different things, and she's just a, she's a beautiful sister. She supports me in every single way, and with the career that I've had and the life that I've had, I can't imagine having her not in my life. Just having that that support. How have each of your family members dealt with the impact of your fame? Has it made you closer? You know, fame at first, you know, it it pulls you apart a little bit, right? Because you're gone yeah, all the time. Yeah, of course. I'm on, I was mm-hmm. on a two-and-a-half-year tour at one point, so that was difficult. But at the end of the day, when I go to New York, I end up either at my father's restaurant or in my parents' kitchen, and we're eating Italian food and having <laughs> wine, and it's the Germanatas. You know, we're an Italian family. I mean, at the end of the day, that's where it ends up. And, you know, they see me as who I am. And what's nice is, you know... What do they call you? What do they call you? They call me Stephanie. Okay. You know, every once in a while, my, my mom will call me LG, you know, or Gaga, or my dad will once in a while. But never my sister. Never my sister. I'm Steph to her forever. <laughs> That's cool. I'm really focused on well-being and wellness right now. Do you have daily rituals that are necessary for your own emotional well-being, your physical wellness? What's your What's your daily ritual? The thing my you must daily do? ritual is um, mm-hmm. in the morning. I like to go outside and have coffee and sit like mm. in nature a bit. And, Me too. Uh, just have some time, you know, with, like, the sky and the world. I know everybody doesn't have that luxury, so I feel badly saying that, but even if they can go for a walk or something, um, I think that's really wonderful. step out on a balcony. It's a little harder for me to go for a walk. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. But uh, so I sit outside. Then I either order, either I exercise first and swim, and then I, I have therapy calls. I do a therapy call almost every day to take care of my head. Because I have neuropathic pain, any stress in my head goes into my body. So it's very important for me to keep up with my therapy so that I can be as calm as possible so that we can keep me out of any any pain or as much pain as possible. But I, I do live with uh, low-grade chronic pain every single day. That's the fibromyalgia. And, uh, and then right. after our, our therapy, I have my work that I do I, I'm, and my passion. You know, it's, so, it's either making music, going into the studio, writing poetry, um, having a house labs meeting, uh, building house laboratories. I've been doing select after selective photos, uh, you know, casting, uh, casting the shoots, uh, making boards. I'm very old school with this company. It's very funny. Uh, My CEO, Ben Jones, bought me an iPad because he said, this is faster (laughs) to make mood (laughs) boards. And I said, I'm old school. I can't do it this way. So I work with uh, this wonderful woman, Fong, who uh, is part of the La House Laboratories team. And she is incredible. And what we do is we select photos, we print them out, and then we make mood boards together. And we we create uh, 
you know, how the website will look, what the photos will be. We choose, you know, what uh, makeups go on who. Uh, we do that also with Sarah Tano, our uh, global artistry director. And so I work, I work, I do that, I work, and then I wind down and have a glass of wine or two, and I go to bed and watch some silly television. <laughs> yeah. What, what's your favorite thing to watch these days? I'm waiting for The Crown to come back, I must say. Oh, you know what's really funny is my sister got me into this cartoon. It's like an adult cartoon, but it's called Bob's Burgers. <laughs> And it's, I've heard about that. It's, I've heard about that, but I just so I can't funny. bring myself to watch it. I can't bring it's myself so to watch funny. it. It's so funny. It's just it's a it's it's a very funny show, and it's about a family that owns a uh, a burger restaurant. And my sister and I watch it together. So I think I watch it because it reminds me of my sister. I want to know what did you once believe was insurmountable, and in the end, the solution you realized was so easy. I once believed that there was no way back from my trauma. I really did. There was days, Oprah, where, or I shouldn't say days, there were months, if not an entire year, where I could not get off the couch. I was in so much pain. And physical, I, physical and emotional and mental? I was in physical, mental, and emotional pain. Medicine works, but. You really need the medicine with the therapy for it to mm -hmm. really work because there's part that you have to do yourself. And so the medicine kind of got me to a point where I could get a little stronger so that I could do the mental. Is this the fibromyalgia? May I, may I be, clarify? Is this it suffering is from the fibromyalgia? Although there's, there's many different theories about fibromyalgia. A lot of people uh -huh. think that fibromyalgia is a syndrome that is often uh, a mixture of many things. And one of those things in particular, my psychiatrist believes is trauma or abuse. So for me, my fibromyalgia and my trauma response, they kind of go hand in hand. One feels a little bit different than the other, but they're, they're both a either mental anguish or a mental anguish and then also a physical pain. The, the fibro for me is a lighter uh, pain. The trauma response is a much heavier pain that actually feels the way that I felt after I was dropped on a street corner after I'd been raped repeatedly for months. So it's, it's the same feeling that I had then. I, it's like a recurring feeling. So there was a time when I was on the couch for... I mean, at least six months. And I looked at my best friend, Bo, all the time. And I was just like, I'm never going to get out of this. And I'm I'm just going to die. Like, I'm, I'm not going to live. And I'm afraid of myself. I'm afraid of what I'll do to myself. I'm in so much pain. I can't live this way. I'll, I'll never feel better. And she just always used to tell me, just hold on and just keep doing the work. And we've got you. And I had kind, wonderful people around me. Even Fong, who works at House Laboratories, she was there with me, too. It was sort of an out, outpatient uh, work out of a clinic where they helped me. And it was because I had a psychotic break. So I had a psychotic break at one point, And 
it's it's not funny because it's the worst thing that's well not the worst thing that's ever happened to me but one of the worst things that's ever happened to me but I was brought to the ER to urgent care and they brought in who is now my psychiatrist I I, I don't want to expose him at this moment because uh, I think his worst fear is fame <laughs> so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna yeah. spare him for the moment but I remember they brought him into the room. And I, I was screaming, and I said, "Can somebody bring me a real doctor?" <laughs> and uh, uh, I didn't, I didn't understand what was going on because I, my whole body went numb. I, I fully dissociated. I was screaming, um, and then he calmed me down and gave me medication for when that happened. Mm-hmm. That medication is called olanzapine. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar with it. I, I have hundreds of girls, so there's nothing you can tell me. I have not been through it yeah. or experienced. So, I've yeah, so several uh, girls I take with. olanzapine. Um, that's mm-hmm. one of the drugs that I take. It's probably the most important. And it helped me that day. And that man and all my friends, they saved my life. Wow. They really did. And all, all I can say is this, anyone that's struggling with this, you can do it. I promise you. You know, the worst of the worst can happen to you. But I was going to ask you to describe a moment when you experienced true grace. Did you feel that moment of getting back into your body, of coming back into your mind, of the psychotic break and then returning to yourself? Was that a moment of true grace? I have them often. They don't happen all the time. I don't, I don't want to lie to you or to the world. I don't mm-hmm. live in the state of total bliss all the time. It's just simply not me. I do struggle on a daily basis, but I do have moments of major gratitude every day where I pray and I say thank you. And I, I surrender myself. You know, whether you believe in God or the universe or whether God is a woman or uh, a sound, or I pray and I say, I, I surrender this pain to you. And thank you, because I think that actually what, actually, I do know how to answer your question, Oprah. I think I knew that I would be okay when I came to the realization that I went through this pain for a reason. And I think the reason is because the universe or God wanted to show me something, something more than just seeing what is hard in the world, but experiencing it so then I could know real pain, real suffering and redirect my spirit and my spirituality in my life to help Mm -hmm. as many people on this planet as possible, because that's the beauty that I can make out of this. And come to the realization that you've now come to, that it's not your role just to shock people in the world. It's not my role to shock people in the world. You know what my role is? My role is to open the portal to the other in the heavens and the universe and the other galaxies and say, tell me, whisper to me in whatever language I will decode you, whisper to me how I can help heal the world. And I will do it, even if it hurts. Mm. Mm. That, that for me is my purpose. And this makeup line is just another one of those conduits for me. This is just another way for me to reach out, more kindness, and 
for me to say that I'm doing this for the money would be an absolute lie. Because if I do make money doing this, guess what I'm going to do with it? I'm going, going to, to give, give back. it away. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to What do you back. believe life is asking of us? This is my last question. What do you believe life is asking of us? I believe life is asking of us to accept the challenge. Hmm. Accept the challenge of kindness. It's hard in a world the way that we are, our history. We have a very, very grave history, don't we? Yeah. And it's asking And we're in us, trouble. We're in we're trouble. In trouble. We're, and, and we have been before. And, yes. we, and we will continue to be. But I think life asks us, amidst these challenges, amidst this hatred, amidst this tragedy, this famine, this war, this unfairness, this cruelty, can you be kind and can you survive? Well, we've talked an hour and 10 minutes. I think we have more than what they need. And certainly it's been a joy. And I can't wait to have a real thorough conversation about mental health. It's just it's I would just love the most to help you I in want. any way I can. I mean, with okay. CBT, with with the girls that you work with, with education, I would absolutely love to be of service in any way that I can be. Well, I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for this conversation and your time. Thank you so much. All right, honey. Love you. Okay. Bye. Love Thank to you. you. Love you too. Bye. Bye, Oprah. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening.